Well, if this is your first time to our Wednesday Night Fellowship, I want to welcome you. Uh, if it's not, I want to welcome you back. It is great to see you again. Uh, it's the start of another semester, uh, which for us means the start of a new sermon series. Uh, it's our habit on Wednesday Night Fellowships to have time to eat pizza, to hang out, sing some songs, and then look at God's Word. And we're going to do that uh, in a minute. But I just want to sort of let you know in, in a sense of what we're going to be doing this semester. This semester, Wednesday nights, it's all about relationships. Uh, it's been said that the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships. I'll say it again. That the quality of our life is best measured uh, by the quality of our relationships. And I really believe that's true. You know, when Jesus says uh, in the Gospel of John that he has come uh, to give us life, and life to the fullest, life abundant, it's worth asking how he does that. Like, Jesus gives us the full life, right, the good life, not by writing us a check for a million dollars, not necessarily by giving us our dream job or our dream home. Right? Jesus gives us life, life abundant, by reconciling us to God the Father, reconciling us to ourselves, reconciling us to our neighbors, other people, reconciling us even to the world around us, including things like the ways that we relate to the environment, to our work, to our rest, to our money, to our power. Again, the quality of our life is measured by the quality of our relationships, relationships that Jesus has come to make right and whole and healthy again. Our relationship with God, ourself, with others, and the world. This is what we're going to be talking about all semester long. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Uh, to be honest, it's something that we've never done before as RUF at UVM. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. Um, I suspect it's going to be awkward uh, at times. Um, I'm pretty sure it's going to be painful at points. Uh, but I think overall it's going to be really, really good and good for us, and I'm excited to do it with you. Now, as we go through uh, this relationship series together, I hope that our relationship, mine and yours, right, us, I hope that gets better. I hope that it grows uh, even of, uh, over the course of uh, this series. I look forward to getting to know you better. I hope you get to know me better, too. I'm going to be sharing stuff from my own life and experience as part of this. Um, those things are obviously original to me, but most of what I'm going to be saying is not. A lot of what I'm having to share with you, um, or I'm excited to share with you, is stuff that I've learned from other people. Um, stuff that I've learned from Megan, my wife. Uh, it's stuff that I've learned from fellow campus ministers. Um, these are giants like Matt Howell, Matt Terrell, John Stone, Les Newsom, Britton Wood, Ryan Anderson. Right? I'm standing on the shoulders of what I think are giants. And they're standing on the shoulders of other giants, guys like Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis, Rankin Wilburn, and others. All that is to say, if anything I say this semester is really helpful or enlightening, odds are that's their contribution. And if anything is like really confusing or frustrating or maddening, that's like my 1% uh, contribution. You can fault me for that. Also, I just want to give credit where credit's due at the outset. I also want you to know that my 1% of wisdom that I'm adding this semester is really a wisdom that I've learned from making mistakes. Like my fitness to do a relationship series is not that I'm a perfect husband or father or son or friend because I'm none of these. Like what I am is a man who's been called out of darkness. Um, I know a God who is good and who is loving and who loves to make broken things whole again. And that really is the reason why I'm able to stand uh, before you and to talk to you about relationships. 
It's not so that you would look at my life and want to emulate me. It's so that you would look at Jesus' life and really want to emulate his. Um, that's my fitness to do this. Um, the truth is, is when it comes to relationships, I'm just as much a student uh, as you are. Um, and I think Jesus has a lot of things that he wants to teach you and me. And so I'm excited to like listen together as we open up his word and hear what he has to say. And I'm also excited to sit across the table and just listen to you and to hear how you're hearing these things. Like what is comforting? What is challenging? Whatever it may be. I really do want um, this to be a conversation or a dialogue uh, as much as possible. And I realize this setting is a little weird. I'm going to spend most of the time talking and your time to respond is going to be over lunch or coffee. Um, But please do. I really do want to talk to you about these things. Well, since it's our first time um, together this semester, and since this is, I said, the start of the new series, let's start by asking the all-important question, why? Like, why are relationships so important? Why is it that the quality of our life is measured by the quality of our relationships and not, for example, how much money is on our bank account? Like, why is the quality of our relationships that important? And then secondly, if relationships are as important as I'm saying that they are, why are we so afraid of them or anxious around them or about them? What's up with that? I want to talk about those two things. To help sort of give some focus, some clarity to this conversation, I want us to turn to the Bible. I want us to open it up. Starting at the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 26. It's pretty much page one of the Bible. And then we're going to flip to the end, to a passage in 1 John uh, chapter 4. So Genesis 1, verse 26 reads, Then God said, Let us make man, which is saying, Let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And 1 John chapter 4. 18 and 19. So there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for bringing us together uh, again. Uh, a new semester, another Wednesday night. I pray that in our times together, uh, you would speak. Uh, you would give us ears to hear what you have to say. Uh, eyes to see Jesus and all of his goodness and grace, hearts that are ready to receive and to believe. Um, I pray this for my friends. I pray for myself. And we pray these things uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, the first question that we're asking really is why are relationships so important? I want you to take a look at this passage from Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 again, really focusing on just this first sentence. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, right, after our likeness. There really are two details I want you to see from this short but profound verse. The first detail is this. God says, let us make mankind in our image. Okay, did you catch that? The one God does not say, let me make mankind in my image. He says, let us make mankind in ours. What is going on here? 
Why is God referring to himself in the plural? Well, what I think we have on page one of the Bible is a clue to a riddle that is resolved later on as you work your way through it. The God who speaks the universe into existence, who speaks to us from the pages of the Bible, and who is vying for your attention tonight, is a trinity. Right? This one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, uh, and Spirit. I think the most helpful way that you can think about it is this. There is one divine community called God. And within that divine community are three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is a, a community with three persons in it. This is why we read in 1 John that God is love. Okay, God is love because God has always been in loving relationships. For all of eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit have loved each other, served each other, and delighted in each other. Which is to say, love is not something that is an add-on, right, that comes later, sometime after God creates things. Right, love predates the Big Bang, because God predates the Big Bang, and God has always and forever will exist in loving relationship. This is the first detail I want you to see. God is inherently loving and relational. And this brings us to detail number two. You are made in the image of this highly relational, loving God. The implications of that are many and profound. But tonight, I simply want to impress upon you the fact that why relationships are so fundamental to your well-being is because you are made in the image of a relational, loving God. God made us in love, and God made us to love. We were made in the image of God for the sake of imaging God, loving Him, loving ourselves, loving others, and loving the world that He entrusted to our care. This is what it means to be human. And this is why the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships. It is why it's not good for you to be alone. This is why your need for connection with God and others and the world around you runs deeper than your DNA. I want you to think about this for a minute. Okay, one of the reasons why we get together just like we do uh, on Wednesday nights is because we're made in the image of God. You know, I could just as easily record this sermon at home and put it on the internet. That's easy to do. But we don't do that because a lot of things would be lost if we did that. We need to hear from God to be sure. But we also need to sing songs together and eat pizza together and just hang out because we're made for relationships. We're made to know and to be known, right? And to love and to be loved. And our need for relationships with God and with each other, it cuts really deep because, like I've said, we're made in the image of a triune God. Love and relationships are not optional or extra, right? Like the tiramisu you might order after like a nice meal. They're the main course. It's the main thing. They're essential. You need these things in the same ways you need oxygen or you need water. 
That's not a neat idea. That's not just my opinion. Right? That's fact. That's a fact that's been proven scientifically. In 1940s, uh, there was a psychologist named Renee Spitz. Um, Renee Spitz conducted uh, a study looking at two groups of children. Group one was a bunch of children who were raised in an orphanage. In this orphanage, there were not enough people who could actually look after them. It would be like one nurse to seven kids. And consequently, a lot of these kids spent a time alone uh, in their cribs all by themselves. Group number two is a, a group of children who were raised in a prison nursery because their, parent, her, their moms were incarcerated. However, they got to see their moms every single day, and they got to interact with some of the other kids and some of the other like, prison workers. Renee Spitz studied both of these groups uh, of children and watched them grow up over a two-year period. Now, both groups of children were given adequate food and adequate water. But after two years, of the 97 children who were raised in the orphanage, only two knew how to walk, and 37% of them died. By way of contrast, all of the children who were raised in the prison and got to have human contact every single day, all of them lived and were walking and talking fine after two years. Now, it's kind of a distressing survey sort of study, but what it shows is that human connection, it's not optional. We need it in the same ways that we need food, drink, um, oxygen. It's also one of the same reasons why solitary confinement is one of the worst forms of punishment human beings have ever devised. According to the Geneva Convention, it's tantamount to torture. Like, they prohibit it. Because what happens when you take creatures created in the image of a triune God and you put them in forced isolation, our humanity begins to unravel. It begins to sort of fray at the seams. We are creatures who are created for community because we are fashioned after one who himself is a community. We are designed, we are made for loving relationships. But this then brings us to point number two. If relationships are so vital to our existence, why do they also invoke so much anxiety and fear? That seems kind of strange. Why do relationships cause so much anxiety and fear? Well, because we are made in the image of a loving, relational God, nothing is going to bless you like a good relationship will, and nothing will hurt you so much as a bad one. Nothing has the power to bless you as good as a good relationship, and nothing has the power to hurt you quite like a bad one, because they're so important. This dilemma was painted for me in an unforgettable light during my premarital counseling. Uh, some of you know that my parents uh, got divorced when I was a freshman in college. And uh, their divorce made me a little bit gun-shy about getting married myself. Uh, but sure enough, in 2009, I found myself engaged to uh, Megan Minan, then Megan Qualey. Well, as we were engaged, uh, we got in some stupid fights, which is normal. But it kind of caught me off guard, and it kind of made me freaked out because I never saw my parents fight, and fighting with my fiancé made me really worried, like, maybe this is a huge mistake. Maybe this is, like, a, a bad sign or a bad omen. Maybe I shouldn't get married after all. And I went to my pastor at the time, who was a guy named Bradley Barnes, and he was also doing our premarital counseling, and I 
told him all of this. And I'll never forget what he said back to me and really said back to us. He said, and I quote, all of us are a bunch of porcupines trying to snuggle up on a winter's night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of us are a bunch of porcupines trying to snuggle up on a winter's night. My reaction was the same. I kind of laughed nervously, like, what does that mean? Like, it helps to know Bradley a little bit, right? He is a guy who grew up on Lookout Mountain on the border of Georgia and Tennessee. And I didn't know if this was something Southerners say. Andrew, you can, you can correct me. You've never heard it. So this is a Bradleyism, right? But what he was trying to communicate is this, right? There is no intimacy without pain. There is no intimacy without pain. At least in the fallen world that we live in, that's true. All of us are a bunch of porcupines trying to snuggle up on a winter's night. We all desire intimacy. We want to feel warm and cozy. We need this, in fact. But shoot, we're a bunch of porcupines. Porcupines, as you know, have sharp sharp needles that stick out of their backs. And wherever the porcupines go, the needles go with them. And in much the same way, we take our hurt and our pain into every social situation that we're in. It travels with us. Sometimes we're the ones doing the poking, and sometimes we're the ones getting poked. This is the human dilemma. It's cold out there. We want to be close. We want to be warm, but we're also afraid. We're afraid that if we get too close, we're going to get hurt. Everybody in this room knows it's true. Everyone in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like being a porcupine, doing the poking. And you know what it's like to be on the receiving end, right, getting poked. Some of you suffer greatly um, because of your parents' divorce. Some of you have been just crushed by the expectations of another. Some of you have been assaulted by those who are supposed to love you. Some of you have experienced discrimination and abuse because of the color of your skin or the way that you look or the way that you talk. And all of us in this room knows the pain of being made fun of, being misunderstood, being made to look stupid, being gossiped about. My point is this, none of us navigates relationships unscathed. We all get pricked. And do you see where this leaves us? We all want to be close. We all need to be close. But we're also very much afraid. So what do you do? Well, I know what you do. Because I do it and I see you do it. You do what so many people do when they're afraid. You hide. You run and you hide. Some of you literally hide. You hole yourself up in your dorm room and you lose yourself in hours of video game playing and Netflix binges and endless social media scrolling. If you're not holed up in your dorm room, you hide by going home on the weekends. Or you hide by 
hanging out with only one person, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. We cannot get in touch with you. Some of you hide by staying really, really busy. You cram your days with activity. You are constantly running from one activity to the next. You don't slow down enough to catch your breath or to let other people catch up with you. You hide through your activity. And then some of you hide in plain sight. Ironically, on social media, things like Instagram or Facebook. On social media, you present yourself a certain way that's true but false. It's you, but it's not the real you. It's a carefully curated version of you. It's all the good stuff, right? Sunsets over Lake Champlain, lunches with my BFFs, right? Everything like sort of from this angle. I know. (laughs) What you're not posting, right, is the dirty dishes in your sink. You're not doing a Facebook or Instagram story about the fight you had with your roommate last night. You're not... Instagramming or Snapchatting, that F that uh, you got on your midterm, right? That stuff's not making the feed. And there's some real self-deceptions that's, that's happening here because you are thinking, I'm not hiding, I'm putting myself out there. But you're not. You are promoting a version of yourself that's more akin to a brand than it is to the real you. And so even though you get tons of likes, you know, look, they like the brand. They don't actually like me. And that's something a person who's hiding would say and think and feel. They're not the same. Right? You're hiding. All of us, myself included, right, are porcupines trying to snuggle up on a winter's night. We want to be close. We need to be close but we're afraid of getting too close, afraid of being hurt. So we hide. But this is insanity. When we hide, we don't get what we want. The bottom line is when you hide, you don't get connection. Uh, As my friend Matt Howell says so very well, not only do you not get what you want, you're damaging yourself. You're lonely. You're dehumanizing yourself. You're exploiting yourself. You're still disconnected. And this brings me, brings us to our final point. Is there any hope for porcupines like you and me? Is there anything that we can do or can be done to us that's going to help us to overcome our fears of relationships and give us the courage that we need to step out into a world and into intimacy? And look, I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't think that there was hope, right? I believe that there is. What if I told you that there is a God who doesn't just see you at your best, but sees you at your worst? What if there's a God who sees all of those horrible things that you were trying to hide, but still says yes to you? Who doesn't reject you? Who still wants to be in a relationship with you? That he doesn't run away from you, but on the contrary, runs towards you and love and embrace What if all of that was true? And what if you believed it? Not just with your head, but with your heart. I think it would change your life. I think it would change you from the inside out. 
And I don't just think this. I know that this would be true because I know this from personal experience. This has been my experience in encountering the perfect love of God. There is a perfect love out there, a love that 1 John is describing. It is the perfect love of God, the love that existed before the foundation of the world. And when you realize that this God of love loves you, that his love is for you and on you and it cannot be taken away from you, knowing that will dry up your fear and drive it out. And you might think, well, how? Why? How does that work? And I would say it works this way. So often we go into relationships thinking, what can I get out of this? But I want you to look at this passage from 1 John one more time and just think through the logic with me as I read it out loud. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. What 1 John is saying is that when the love of God enters into your life, you're able to enter into relationships with, not with your like, love tank empty, but with it full. You're able to enter into relationships not starving for affection, but able to give affection. Not looking to get, but looking to give. Because as it's written, we love because he first loved us. What John is also saying is that because there is a God who sees us, not just at our best, but at our worst, even though he sees us in this way, uh, even though we try to hide things from him, he still loves us. He doesn't reject us. And because he doesn't reject us and because he doesn't reject you, you don't need to fear human rejection all that much anymore because there's a God who sees you and loves you just the same, right? You can take risks. You can be vulnerable. You can move in close. Why? Because the perfect love of God, it casts out fear. We love because he first loved us. God loves me, and therefore I can love you without fear. Slowly but surely, right? It moves me in that direction. Maybe you're thinking, that sure sounds nice, but how can I know that it's true? I would simply say to you, take a good, hard, long look at Jesus. Romans 5.8 reads, God demonstrates, he proves his love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus on the cross is God's proof that he loves you. He sees you at your worst, which is why he has to die for you. But he loves you, which is why he's glad to do it. He thinks that you're worth it. In his book on marriage, Tim Keller writes, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, that's kind of like being loved by God. Do you know that? That you're loved like this? My hope is that you do, and if you don't, that you will. So whether you identify as a Christian or not tonight, I hope that you will join us this semester as we kind of go on this relationship journey. I hope that you'll come back next Wednesday. I hope that you'll join a Bible study.
I hope you'll join. You'll take me up on my offer. You'll join me for lunch and coffee, and we can talk about some of these things. Bring your questions. Also bring an open mind. Be ready to receive all that God wants to do for you and give to you this semester. This is my invitation. Right? To come to see, to encounter and to explore, to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. Friends, there is a perfect love that will cast out your fear. It is the God who made you in his image. Let's pray.